Again, good evening. As you all are well aware, we're going to be um, discussing and exploring um, the topic of navigating grief and, grief and loss. Um, my name is Keith Johnson. Um, been a part of the Open Table for going on almost a year now. Um, um, I don't take this opportunity to stand before you all lightly and to share with you all um, lightly in the least bit. Um, my style is very much conversational. Um, as you see, there's going to be some slides, but um, I recognize that the eyes that I'm looking in, the faces that I see, are there is testimonies of loss and grief. So I invite you in this evening to feel free to ask questions. If there's a moment that you want to share or you desire to share, I do encourage that. Um, this night is very much about you all. And I'm here to facilitate this journey, this discussion along with you all. Um, so again, thank you. So we're still in, um, in a season of navigating um, self-care. Um, and tonight, again, is on grief and loss. With the hope of naming those ambiguous or those unnameable losses and the feelings of grief and mourning that we experience, right? Um, so tonight, we are going to look at some of the misconceptions, misconceptions of grief, grief and loss. How many folks here have experienced some form of loss? Okay. From the outset, I want to say grief or loss doesn't just have to be from someone dying. It could be from a relocation. It could be for the lack of personal control. It could be uh, some type of health issue. It could be a myriad of issues that you are, you are experiencing, right? So let that be, let that navigate us. Let that be our baseline for this evening, okay? I see some head shaking. That is good. So as we look in, um, the miscon a misconception is a view or opinion that is incorrect because it is based on faulty thinking and or, uh, or understanding. Um, so it's misunderstanding a mistake, an error, a misinterpretation, a misconstruction, a misbelief, miscalculation. Um, we're going to look at some of the misconceptions of grief this evening. So the question that I pose for you all are, what are some misconceptions you have heard and or experienced as it pertains to grief? Feel free to pop your hand up or just say it out loud. Yes. At any point, people will say, well, you should be finished. Okay. So a misconception towards grief is that there is an ending point, or you should be done. Operative word, should. Justin? My misconception, you just corrected, I thought grief had only to do with, uh, let's say, death or, okay. or loss of relationships. Yeah, yeah. I think I hear people say, like, time's a great healer a lot mm -hmm. of times when they, they actually haven't grieved. Okay. Like, they'll, have, they'll hold on to the same wounds forever, and time doesn't necessarily heal you. Yeah, good. Hannah, Hannah yes. Yes, yes. Yes. That's good. Yeah. Another one. Yes, ma'am. It was only a dog. It was only a dog. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I have a, a sister who turns 14 on uh, Friday. And uh, she had a, uh, a turtle that had to be only as big as my pinky. It died. And I was called upon to do a service for this turtle. She felt that. She felt the guilt. She felt the loss. She was grieving that turtle. I mean, I, looked, I, I didn't think it was alive when she got it. 
<laughs> Maybe it wasn't. I, but she would love on that thing. She would dote on it, and she would just be, oh. But when it passed, she asked, Keithy, that's my nickname, Keithy, can you say some words for my turtle? So we went out to the backyard, and my mom and my dad were present, and we had a service. And I think my mom sang a song or two or something like that. So I say all that to say, let us be mindful not to diminish or, or, or lessen the experience, even if it is a dog, right? Because dogs are important. My cat is important, Lord knows. Got him a leash and a harness, he's spoiled rotten. Just the idea of something happening to him, you know, causes me great grief. But anyway, so we've heard some misconceptions and Justin, thank you for, for, for speaking to that, that the misconception of that grief is just uh, um, um, experiencing the loss of a loved one or someone dying. Misconception number one is that grief and mourning are the same thing. Grief is the collection of, in, of uh, internal thoughts and feelings we have when someone or something we love dies or is no longer. Uh, mourning is when you take the grief you have on the inside and express it on, on the outside. Um, grief is that internal, the thoughts and the feelings. The mourning is when it comes from the inside and is manifest on the outside, right? So if someone says a loved one that dies, you would say, oh, such and such is the bereaved. The term there, bereaved, simply means, or it could be broken down to mean dispossessed or torn apart. There is something very real about feeling torn apart when something happens to you and happens in you. So those, the first misconception of many, there's nine for this evening, that grief and mourning are the same thing, right? Grief and mourning progress in predictable, orderly stages. Grief manifests are and mourning progress in a predictable and orderly stages. How many of you all have ever had grief sort of happen like A, B, C, D, and you were able to see it go all the way down the line and it never turned back? 1969, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross um, penned a book um, on death and dying. Um, over the years, um, her work uh, has been, let's say, misconstrued because originally she was focusing on the stages as it pertained to those stages of grief for those that are dying, not those that are, have since died or those that are experiencing the grief, right? So a lot of times they look at these stages and they say, oh, this is how it's going to work, right? You see this here? You have the loss and the hurt, and then you go down to the shock and the numbness, and let's just jump down to the anger and the fear and the searching, the disorganization. Then you go to this trough of loneliness and isolation and guilt, and you go all the way up to depression, and then you go through all of this, and you find yourself at loss adjustment. It's not that simple. Nodding heads here in the room are bearing witness to that is that not this simple, right? In my hospice work, I, I, I'm privileged to, to sit at the feet and be in the presence of many husbands, wives, life partners, sons, daughters. And I can remember this one encounter where the daughter says to me, she says, Chaplain, I don't know how this sounds, but I really want my mom to go. I really want my mom to leave this earth and not have to experience what she's experiencing right now, right? Because the way I see her now is, is not, she's not living a fulfilled life. She's suffering, she's in pain, you know? And then once the funeral happens, she says, Keith, I'm so happy she's no longer here. 
Not in the sense that she's being insensitive to the cares of her mother or to the experience of her mother. She just knows that where she is now, there's a bit of a joy there. And it's not to dismiss the feelings of hurt, the feelings of disorganization, the feelings of loneliness, right? But this is in reality our experience. You wake up on cloud nine, you're excited to tackle the day. Then you get into the car and you hear a song and it just, just blows your mind and you start tearing and you don't know what to do with yourself. Then you go throughout the day and you feel good again. And then you see something again, it reminds you of your loved one or it reminds you of your dog or reminds you of the job you once had or it reminds you of the activities of your limbs that you were able to do. Because here, 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 here's the reality. Loss, like I said before, and like many of you have attest to, loss finds itself and we grieve that loss in, in a variety of different ways. I used to run five miles a day, but now I can't even walk. I have COPD, I have my issues with my lungs. There's, that's a loss. So that loss of personal control, right? The next misconception is you should move away from grief, not toward it. There is this, this thought process that says, um, and I'll be better off not looking at it, not dealing with it. Because if I don't acknowledge that monster under the bed, then that monster is not there. Or if I don't acknowledge that grief, then that grief is not there, right? But how can you heal that which you do not acknowledge, right? Any questions, comments, anecdotes? Number four, a misconception is tears of grief are only a sign of weakness. I thought I was better than this. I thought I was stronger than this. What do my tears say about, I'm getting ahead of myself, what do my tears say about my faith? Uh, what do the tears say about my self-identity? About who I think I am and who the world sees me as? Because if I fall apart, who's gonna take care of everyone else around me? So tears of grief are only a sign of weakness. I, I was thinking as I was going over this today and throughout the week, um, to grieve is a gift in and of itself, right? To grieve or to be in that, to grieve and to mourn, to be in that internal and external experience of loss is a witness or is evidence of your of your capacity to love. You see what I mean? Yeah. The fact that you're feeling what you're feeling lets you know in some way, shape, or form that you cared and you loved deeply. Right? What do you mean, Keith? I really didn't have a relationship with my father or my mother or with my siblings, but now that they're gone, I find myself crying or grieving that experience or the lack thereof, which might be testament to the fact that there was a part of you or there is a part of you that loved deeply and desired that connection. And you're grieving, Jeremy, the fact that it is no longer. That's a deep and real grief that I never got to say what I wanted to say. I hope my wife Meredith will allow me to share this. Um, when we got here in June 2018, we had about a four or five month span between her mother passing suddenly. It was on a Saturday. I go into um, the bathroom. She's doing her hair. She didn't take long doing her hair anyway. Uh, but she took, was taking an exorbitant amount of time. So I go in there. She's on the floor prostrate. And we go through this whole ordeal. She find out, we find out that we have to travel back to Virginia in less than 12 hours, 24 hour notice. And the first thing she says to me is, I never had the opportunity 
to get her the blow dryer that she wanted. Never had the opportunity to get her the blow dryer that she wanted, right? It was a missed opportunity. It was a conversation that they had. It was something that she looked forward to, right? So it manifests itself in very real ways. I oftentimes find myself, given the work that I do, I, I am, um, uh, there's a bit of a cognitive dissonance to the work that I do because I see it every day. I'm with it 24-7. I try not to take it home with me. I really do the best that I can, right? But Monday's coming, <laughs> and I've got work to do, you know? So there is a bit of that grief there. And we've talked about here the word boundaries is not something that is foreign to this community or foreign to any of you all. But there are moments where I grieve the stories and I grieve the experience that I had with my patients and my families. Because there's a particular bond that we connect. But then I have to find a way to sort of shed that and, and grow on from that. Not go on from it, but grow on from that experience. Right? So no, tears of grief are not a sign of weakness. I believe it is a sign that you cared and you loved and you loved deeply. Misconception number five, being upset openly mourning means you are being weak in your faith. How many of you have ever, ever had someone question your faith because you were, you were grieving? You mind sharing? It wasn't too long ago that we lost our cat, and I'm a, a spiritual practitioner who serves with spiritual living, and so one, um, so I called a friend to, to, for a prayer partner, Yes. and um, she said, you know, it's really not about the cat, mm. and, and you know, the, you know, you know the truth, that the cat's not you know, that, that her body's gone, but, you know, that her spirit lives on. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's like, yeah, I know that's true. And, and still, you know, my heart ached and I miss, it was about my cat, you know. They're in a better place. Oh, I'm sorry. They're in a better place. Okay, let's come back. I'm sorry, I'm cut you off. Yeah, well, that, that is, that's like what. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, she tried to, you know, she, instead of allowing me space, mm. she kept bringing me back to what I, what I, what I know, what mm. I know, you know how to do with, deal with this. And it's like, you know, no, I just, I just really needed to have someone listen and let me cry about so the reality is you know what you know. I, I do know what I know. And. Yeah. You know what you needed to do. But in that moment, uh-huh. you needed someone to, mm-hmm. to sit with you and lament with you. Yeah. Right. There was a comment. I just, a lot of people just say, you know, if they're struggling, you know, cancer, things like that. Oh, they're in a better place now. Yeah. Which really discounts, yeah. you know, the life and the memories Follow follow up, yeah. Follow up question for that. What does it feel to you, or what does it feel like when it's said to you? It it, it discounts uh, my ability to mourn, or or, you know, the guilt, the grief, kind of turns to guilt. Okay. You know, I shouldn't be grieving. Mm -hmm. Yes, she's in a better place, but, you know, I love her, you know, type of thing. Yeah, thank you for sharing. Thank you for sharing. Tony. I wanted, uh, wanted to say thank you for giving the loss and grief just about loss of people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the community I serve right now is elected to close. Yeah, yeah. Community, and a lot of what I'm doing right now is facilitating opportunities for them to absolutely be upset and openly mourn during the process of worship and during the process and they're like we're supposed to be celebrating we're supposed to know that this is it i'm like yes today is friday and sunday is coming 
Mm. But you are absolutely allowed to do that. And uh, coming up, I will remind them Jesus wept. Yeah. Even knowing the end of the story. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. There was a hand here. I was just going to say a little bit what Kareem with the gentleman back there. You start feeling selfish, like you wanted to keep the person alive for yourself, even though, yes, you know they're not in pain anymore. But it turns it around and you start feeling selfish because you want them to be here. Even though you know theoretically in your mm -hmm. mind they are in a better place, but mm -hmm. you don't want to hear that from No, you don't. <laughs> no, you don't. And as a side note, it is okay to be selfish. It is okay to say, I don't want this particular loved one to leave this earth. That is okay. I want to affirm, to affirm that. So what I'm saying, is, it is okay to be selfish. You know? Because there's years of experience, there's years of stories, there's years of, of memories that are, that are, that are going to be, but you can't develop and grow anymore. Right? And that's a tough place to be. I saw a hand. Yes. Um, I've heard like you have to make something beautiful. Mm-hmm. God has a, a plan for you. Mm-hmm. You know, you're gonna grow so much. Yeah. And it's like you yeah, have, but this doesn't have to happen. You have to do it. Mm. Yeah. A great follow-up <laughs> when I hear families share that God has a plan, and this is, I don't know if I'm being the devil's advocate or I'm just, I'm just probing and getting beyond the, the, it being superficial, is what if God does not have a plan or what if what you're hoping for does not come to pass? Are you prepared for that? Right? And you'll be amazed by asking that, asking that probing question. It is not, it's, it's not me antagonizing their faith. But it's me so more, let's, let's pull back a layer of that and see what's underneath that. Because I found, again, like we've expressed here together, that this, this superficial, there's a plan for it, you know, and there very well might, might be. I'm not discounting that. But what are you going to do in this moment and then this time? It, it was their time. Yeah. Yeah. I saw another hand. Yes, ma'am. Mm -hmm. But it is a neglected, one of the really neglected emotions that our entire culture is completely illiterate mm -hmm. about. And I think people do the best they can, but we've never had formal or informal education unless your family has some tradition yeah. about how to hold yeah, that's good. loss and grief. That's good. That's good. Spot on. I mean, society, um, you experience your, that, that loss, and you're allowed a couple of days. You're just allowed a couple of days, whether spoken or unspoken, and you know it's time for you to get back into that system and operate as, operate as normal. But it's not. So thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, I think something Savannah said reminded me too, like sometimes people say, you know, something good will come out of this. Mm -hmm. And it, I've had an experience where like I felt really conflicted because um, sometimes good things do happen. Mm -hmm. And how, how to feel about that, you know? Like, yeah. When you go through an experience of grief and loss, like you do change as a person, and sometimes your life changes in really dramatic ways, and sometimes those ways are positive, you know. Yeah. And so, sorry, <laughs> I hope I'm not the only person that's like tearing up tonight. But yeah, like after losing someone, like really, really wishing to have them back, but also recognizing like if that hadn't happened, my life wouldn't have gone in this direction, and I wouldn't have the life that I have now. Yes. Grieving that you're doing well. Yeah, yeah, right. Like yeah. this had to, like, yeah. Should I be this happy? Should I be this happy? Yeah. Yes. Sir. Also, some people will say, "Oh, I, I need to go back into my routine." Yes. You know, tighten in my grief. Yeah. Uh, but it never does. It never does. You know, it just 
because they'll be driving home and a song comes on the radio and they'll just start crying. Yes. But it does give them a sense of order. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Their own life. Yeah. I feel I feel the room. Um, we're going to a very a very deep and intimate space. I think we started out just the fact that we're here talking about this this uh, this topic. Um, I want us just to pause for a moment. Put your hand wherever you need to put it. And to yourself, name that feeling. Whatever it is that you're feeling. Name it. Don't judge it. Just name it. It stems back from going with what I said earlier. You cannot heal what you do not acknowledge. So just name it. And when you're ready, you can open your eyes. It's conception number six. When someone or something you love dies, you only, you only grieve and mourn the physical loss of the person in situation. There's not just the physical loss, but there is a loss of self as it pertains to, again, yourself. Loss of identity. Who am I? Loss of self-confidence. And it could be the loss of your health and personality. So with the loss of self, you have the self, I feel like a part of me died. The identity, you may rethink your role as a husband or wife mother or father, son or daughter, best friend, etc. Your self-confidence, some grievous experience, lowered self-esteem. Health, physical symptoms of mourning. You lose a bit of your, or you could lose for a season, a bit of your personality. I just don't feel like myself. This is really, this is, this is a huge one. The loss of, I, loss of self, loss of identity. I mentioned my wife earlier, yet she is, a, she is still a daughter. She's a daughter of a mother who's not here. How do you reconcile? How do you reconcile that? How do you hold that? You know? Also personality. Orphan. Is it coming? You're orphan. You're orphan. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to ask you a question. You mind sharing your story a little bit? Mom died in 2001 uh, cancer in the hospital for uh, three and a half months, 96, 98 days on ventilator at KU Med Center, you know, ICU. She was an ICU nurse, so they had to put her into a coma because she knew what was going on. She was freaking out. But uh, she had pneumonia, but she had autoimmune disease, which with medication, it w they were such strong anti-inflammatories that they didn't know she had pneumonia. Her oxygen level was like 50. So you, you, you know, I find her somewhat unconscious and get her they transferred to KU Med Center. And, you know, the whole family's kind of there. Sister from St. Louis comes over. You, and you just grieve. And it's kind of, you know, my sister was a doctor at that time there and actually diagnosed my mom. But mm. um, it was kind of strange. It, you know, she did that at Thanksgiving dinner, you know. Yeah. <clears throat> but, you know, it's Dad would spend the days down there. I would drive down there and spend the nights. Yes. I don't know why, but I did because Dad told me to. Okay. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, slept in uh, one of the doctor's nap rooms. You know, but you know, it's kind of a. Uh, when she passed, I mean, I would drive her to chemo's. I drive her to her test and her um, appointments. You just sit there, and I went through that. You know, God, if you're going to take her, you know. Yeah. It's your time, you know, um, and and it's kind of, you know, there's some sense of guilt. I was kind of wanting her to, you know, to 
and also selfishly wanted not to have to do this anymore. And yeah. It was wearing me out. Yeah. And you know, then she passed away. Dad never lived alone. He was 70 years old. Mm -hmm. Never gone to grocery store. Never done laundry. You know, mom always did everything. Uh, so I had to stay with him. And the two of us were depressed, and we hung on to each other. Yeah. And then he killed himself, and I was the last person he talked to on the phone. Yes. And just saying, you know, I can't go on. I can't keep doing this. Yes. Um, I miss your mom. Yes. And he was up at the cemetery at a gravestone, uh, headstone, and saying the rosary, got done with it. He did that every day. Got done with it. Shot himself. Yeah. You know. So and you know, I go out and find him, of course. You know, it, it was kind of a, a process. Yes. Uh, of, of just becoming caretaker, but then all of a sudden orphan. Yes. And but orphan is a very strong, very strong word. Yeah. Yeah. May I ask your mom and your dad's name? Eileen is my mom, and Robert's my dad. Thank you for sharing. Another loss is the loss of security, emotional security, physical security, the fact of being alone, or very well that fiscal security. The emotional security obviously has to do with the emotional source of support is now gone, causing emotional upheaval. Physical security, you may not feel as safe living in your home or working as you did before. And fiscal there are some financial things that weren't there before, but now that a person's paycheck or the pension, whatever the case may be, is no longer there. Or, again, we're not just talking about folks that are, folks, those that have died, it could be the fact that you're relocating to a place that you don't know nothing, you know nothing about, or you lose a job because of your health. That causes some very real fiscal insecurity that could lead and lend itself to very poor decision-making due to just the emotional state and your physical state. Right? Loss of meaning. Who am I? Your goals and dreams are lost. Your faith is turned upside down. Your will, desire to live or to work is sort of lost. And your joy the goals and dreams, obviously, are the hopes and dreams for the future can be shattered. Um, my wife and I don't have any kids yet. We plan on having them in the very near future. And I can remember when we first started, uh, first got married, we would say, oh, such and such is going to be just like your mom. Such and such would do, your mother would really love to do this with Keith Third or whoever the case. <laughs> we had names, right? That's not going to happen now. And for me, that is very, very real. It hurts. I'm angry. I'm upset. Pissed off. That I, my wife and I won't be able to share that experience with her mother. Right? Uh, faith, you may question your faith. Uh, your will, the desire to live. You may have questions related to the future of meaning in your life. You may ask, why go on? What is this, what's this all for? Especially if you were meant, if you were, all you knew was being a father, or all you knew and there's nothing wrong with being a mother, or you just saw yourself as simply a son or a daughter. Why go on if that, that connection is no longer there? And the joy. Life's most precious emotion, happiness, is compromised by the death of someone we love or the death of something that we held, that we held near and dear. Any comments or questions or anything you need to get off? Yes, quick, yes, thank you. Uh, when you talked about the loss of security, it made me think, I worked in youth psychiatric care for a little while, mm -hmm. and youth would come stay at our facility, and one of the things that we fought daily was um, for the youth, they were coming from either single or complex trauma homes. Yes. Um, and so one of the things that would happen 
almost routine was when they would get admitted to our facility, um, you know, therapists would meet with them and then immediately they're, they're brought to the unit um, and they're, you know, they're expected to, uh, you know, buy into the routine and yeah. the system. Um, but more often than not, very quickly, you end up in a safe room with the kid because mm-hmm. they're freaking out Yeah. what we were taught, which makes so much sense that has really helped me, um, is they were, regardless of the fact that they were coming from abusive homes, they were experiencing a loss of that security. Yeah. Because one of the things that we would talk about was the, the clinging to the abuser. Mm-hmm. Because it's still mom, it's still dad, it's still grandma, it's still grandpa. So obviously that abuse wasn't constant, so there were moments where they felt safe. There were yeah. moments where their brain thought, oh, maybe it's over. Um, and so then coming to the facility then was a moment where they had no sense of security. Yeah. And so it was difficult to then experience that with them and, and figure out how do you, what do you offer them? Yeah. And, and more often than not, it's just, you can't, you just sit with them. Yeah. So. Something that he said that I think was very, very powerful and this often gets uh, looked over, is that oftentimes words aren't enough. It is simply sitting with them and being a presence. Um, If you are, so when I first got into chaplaincy, there was a part of me, uh, my supervisor would call me a wise old man. He called me a wom. (laughs) A a wom, right? A wise old man. And, I was interviewing, and he said, Keith, what would you do? Or what would you say to a, to, a, to a father whose two-year-old son died suddenly? And I fi- fixed myself up, and I said, I would tell him that this is in the hands of God, and God is sovereign, and God knows what God is doing. And he flipped it on me, my friend, and said, how would you feel if that was said to you? I got indignant. I said, oh, I would be pissed. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, that is not helpful, right? So I have found nine times out of 10 in my work, I'm sometimes just sitting there in silence. And silence is oftentimes, in your presence is oftentimes, more often than not, the greatest gift you can offer someone. Your silence, your presence, your just being there is powerful. Your being there is transformative. Try it when you get home. Those who have significant others, you know, don't be a wise old man or a wise old woman or a wise old whatever the case may be. It does not help. So let's move on. This conception, after someone or something you love dies, the goal should be to get over your grief as soon as possible. That get over is something that, that makes me extremely upset. And another one is move on. Yeah. That's another big one that I hear. It's time for you to move on. I'm just trying to move on from this experience. I'd posit that instead of moving on, it's moving through. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Moving through. It's journeying through and journeying with. Not with your head down, you know, well, let's be honest. Sometimes it's going to be with your head down, with your head cowering between your knees and you're, you're going through, right? And that is okay. But there is no getting over or moving on. It is moving through or going, going through. And there is no such thing as as soon as possible. Again, you cannot heal. You cannot deal with that which you do not acknowledge. It's conception number eight. Nobody can help you with your grief. We oftentimes isolate ourselves um, because life's routine gets back into it and we don't think anyone wants to hear our story or cares enough to be present for our story. This is not something you get through on your own. There are resources out there. There are, there are folks that really want to hear your story, who care enough about you to sit and be present with you. It is okay to be weak. It is okay to be vulnerable. 
It is okay to be upset. It is okay to be glad. It is okay to be all this array of emotions. I think we're here in our last misconception. When grief and mourning are finally reconciled, they will never come up again. Once you get through the end of that thing, and it's 10 years later, you're not going to go back. How many of you all know that? That's a huge lie. <laughs> I see so many hands in the room. You're going to come back. You're going to revisit it. But it doesn't mean you have to remain there. I'm just a stranger passing on through. I'm pilgriming through, through this foreign place, or sometimes it could be a very known place of grief and loss. Give a hand. It's funny. I, I like dreaming. And sometimes when I dream, my mom and dad are in the dream, along with my siblings, and they're still alive. And it's kind of like we're reliving some of the things that we did when they were alive. So. It always kind of makes me feel a sense of it was good, you know. But it's still a part of grief. Yes. Yeah. Presence. Yeah. I just realized that it's almost at that time. So let's look at some of the realistic expectations or conceptions of for grief and mourning. And I'll, you will naturally grieve, but you will probably have to make a conference conscious effort to mourn. It's going to be inside of you. But you're going to have to be intentional about doing the work to talk about it, to look at it. Your grief and mourning will involve, will involve a wide variety of different feelings and thoughts. Your grief and mourning will impact you in all five realms of experience, physical, emotional, cognitive, social, and spiritual. You need to feel it to heal it. And that can be a simple practice of when you find yourself driving or when you wake up in the morning, just do a body scan. What's going on? I'm feeling anxious. Because you know, oftentimes we go through life and we just feel this stuff, but we don't time to pause and look at it. We just keep going, trucking all through, Abby. And then we wonder why we're not progressing. or We wonder why we're um, relapsing in various areas of our life. You don't get over your grief, you learn to live with it or journey with it. You need, and I should have put, I should have made that, you need other people to help you through your grief. Again, we put ourselves in silos and we think that I'm the only one who knows what it feels like to lose a loved one. You know what it feels like to lose your loved one but the experience is universal, right? That's the loss of a loved one, that's what I mean, not the feelings that are associated with it. Right. Here's, if I was in a, a black Baptist or Pentecostal point, uh, church, I would say this is your, the, 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 the praise point. <laughs> you will not always feel this bad. Yeah. That's the good news, <laughs> right? You will not always feel, feel this bad. Um, the hour is late. I see a hand, yes. Yeah, the space, the time, the, the being a full-time student, being, you got these things, you just got to keep going. And, and you, I think it's important that you really put it on your schedule to say, this is a weekend or a day or a few hours that I'm going to look at this thing and I'm going to feel it. Right? Yes, ma'am. Yes. Their friends, because they're not comfortable 
Lucky they don't know what to say. They just don't support them. Mm -hmm. And they tell them, oh, it was meant to be. Oh, you can have another baby. No, there's no guarantee they can have another yes. baby. And it won't be that baby. So I just feel very um, compelled to share that. Yeah. There's very unique needs for those who Yes. And I mean, I had uh, patients who had nine miscarriages. Mm -hmm. And people are still saying the same things to them. Yeah. That are very hurtful. Yeah. And, um, do not acknowledge their pain and their pain. Yes. Thank you for sharing. Yes. I want to say a short thing about relationship. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever it is, whether it was a part of your life or your workplace or a person, all those five realms you're talking about, it's still part of the tapestry of your life. Yes. So there's no need to try to tear that out. Yeah. It's a ta part of the tapestry of your life, and you can grieve it, and you can enjoy memories of it, and go through it in a holistic way. Yeah. Okay. See here. Yes. Yes, sir. In certain lives of work or certain walks in life, ASCP can take on a second meaning where we can change the F, the S, excuse me, to as sensitively as possible. Mm -hmm. There are times I've been going through loss and I've been told that I'm oversensitive. Mm -hmm. um, there might have been a point to the over, you know, possibly, perhaps. Yes. But you can't proceed through this. One takeaway I have from your wonderful presentation is the importance of sensitivity. Yeah. You need to be sensitive to our own feelings, the feelings mm -hmm. of others. You need to be sensitive to, to human nature, yes. to reality factors, to faith traditions, and the list would continue. But the idea is, and I think what the world is lacking, is sensitivity. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah. Um, I have a question for you, Keith. When, when you were grieving like that situation with your mother-in-law and, and you're a chaplain and you're sitting with those who are grieving, like what, what was, what's that experience like for you to sit with those who grieve when you're in like the depths of grief as well? A lot of it just has to do with me um, just being present. Um, I remember, and I'll go to my wife when her mother had passed, I felt a great sense of, sense of guilt because my mother is still li living and I knew I could call my mother at any time and just chat about stuff. So there were times where I would call my mother and I would go outside the house for respect and for care of, of my wife. Um, on the heels of that, ever so often, maybe every three, three weeks, I do a check-in with her. I say, hey, what's going on? What are you thinking? What are you feeling? How are you? Right? That's sort of how I sit with the grief and, and, and explore it. Not judging it, not trying to do anything with it, not trying to fix it. Any other questions, any comments as we wrap up the evening? You guys have been brave souls. Yes, Garrett. I want to publicly just say thank you, Keith, for yeah. making a 
himself feels safe enough to share with you and cry and feel and give him some great information, but also just open up the space to let us um, tackle some really tough things. And not providing answers per se, but just um, opening the bandwidth a little yeah. bit. Thank you. Yeah. Happy to do it. Thank you. Uh, as we close, um, we've talked about, we've thought about, we've felt about a lot of uh, heavy, heavy topics and, and things of discussion. Um, there might have been some things that were um, shaken up that have settled in your life over the years that you have not yet looked at. Um, so I want us, if, if, you, if you're okay, I, I would like us to, um, those who feel com comfortable, um, um, I want to ask that Abhishek come and um, close us out with a, with a, a prayer and a moment of of centering, if that's all right. I actually, this works out to you because I had this plan for uh, my talk last week and ran out of time. <laughs> so this um, is just a chant as we're, last week we talked about are the parts of ourselves, the broken parts of ourselves, and today we're talking about the grief that we experience and um, pain and loss can cause us to feel like we're shattered into so many parts and also the isolation can push us away from other people. And this chant goes um, the words are, I'm here, I'm with you, we are one. So I invite you to join me with that.